Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. We are in a dynamic, increasingly competitive world, certainly in terms of B2B, B2C. It doesn't matter from a seller's perspective. It has never been more competitive. The intensity level, the pressure to actually perform, be successful in sales, it's out there. It's a reality. And our traditional concept, of what it takes to be successful in sales, proactive, uh, applying a lot of energy and focus. But that intensity and that focus can also lead into behaviors that might seem pushy, overly aggressive. Well, my guest today has an entirely alternative point of view on a path to successful selling, selling with dignity. Harry Spate is a renowned sales consultant He's the author of the book, Selling with Dignity, which is really a formula for life-changing results. He's a keynote speaker, and he really prioritizes a service mindset over those pushy tactics in advocating for this unique approach to sales. He has a really interesting background, his path. We're going to jump into that, learn more about that today from a mission background into extensive experience in competitive sales. And he is helping teams around the world elevate their performance, but doing it with dignity and in a different way than those traditional concepts of what it means to be successful in sales. So I can't wait to jump in and get this unique perspective. Harry, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Oh, so great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me on your awesome podcast. So. As I mentioned, I mean, your journey to where you are now really being this this really wise and experienced consultant and helping others achieve better sales performance, it's not a traditional journey. What sparked your passion, your interest in helping others perform better in sales and doing it differently? Yeah, it really comes back from my mission background. Prior to being in sales, I spent... Uh, almost 15 years from my teens up into my mid thirties serving people. When my wife and I left the Dominican Republic uh, in the mid nineties, my, the way I supported myself prior to doing this was uh, I had a small janitorial business. So if you can imagine uh, I worked in the evenings and nights, uh, scrubbing floors and washing windows and cleaning restrooms. Not It was not pretty. And no. when I left the DR, I did not want to go back to that. So I, you know, kind of talked to a bunch of people and then, you know, someone suggested you should get into sales. You're a good communicator. Well, I read the book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. And that was so aligned with my mission background. 
I thought sales was an act of love right from the beginning. <laughs> Og Mandino was talking about, I will greet each day with love in my heart. I'm like, I do that. I can do this. It'll be easy. And uh, I ended up getting into a sales bullpen, you know, a few months after riding around in the mountains of the Dominican Republic on a motorcycle. <laughs> I'm in a sales bullpen, shoulder to shoulder with other sales reps who are 10 years younger than me, all talking about the hard clothes. You know, the language was a little salty. I mean, it was just the complete opposite. It was boiler room, right? It was totally boiler room. Exactly. So if you're familiar with that movie or um, others like it, even the pursuit of happiness, we're just guys pounding the phones. Well, I failed miserably. Of course, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> no business acumen at all. I would never been in an office other than to clean it. And here I was, you know, uh, given a phone and a script. And go for it, Harry. So after failing for a bunch of months, I, uh, it just dawned on me after I was uh, I was actually written up, given a performance improvement plan because uh, zeros are not good in sales. Right. <laughs> and uh, I just decided and it was all starting to come together. People were talking to me more. And it's just this idea of serving people. I said, you know, I'm just going to serve. This will be my differentiator. I'll serve and see where this takes me, because being someone who I'm not clearly wasn't working so that's where it all started to fall into place and then you know i built a career out of a servant mindset and figured after 20 plus years that uh there might be others who were like me that just were not pushy or obnoxious or the bulls in the china shop that could serve people and sell successfully so that's my new gift to the world yeah. And servant leadership coming into play again, uh, something I'm really passionate about too, of course, and, and highlighted in my book, but you're, you're giving that ultimate pathway from a true servant uh, to now helping inspire and motivate others. And we are in really unprecedented times. Obviously the last couple of years, it's, it's turned a lot of uh, things upside down quite a bit, but it's so competitive out there. What are some of the things that makes selling even more challenging today than, than maybe just 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Yeah, because well, I think today, everyone, people know everything. And it's really interesting because you could be doing something for 20 years and you show up to someone's office to talk about, you know, a challenge and, you know, you try to sell your stuff. It's like they already know. I mean, it does not take long for them to find exactly what it is, what your reviews are, you know, what works well, what doesn't. I mean, they know. So it's years ago, not even that long ago, you could go in and share some insight about your product. Now, clearly nobody cares. I mean, before you always wanted to sell outcomes, you wanted to solve right. a problem. But people periodically, Dan, would say things like, so what's new out there? Nobody's really saying that anymore. They, they know that you're there to sell them something. Their guard is up because no one likes to be sold. There's so much spam in the world, whether it be on your phone, emails, you know, people dropping in. It's just so it, it's tough. I get that. But you can still if you think through it and you say you ask yourself, how many people do I need? to buy my stuff over the course of the year. 
And if you're selling a higher ticket item, that number is probably not very high. And then it's like, all you have to do is just think, well, where are those people? And can I talk to them, have nice conversations, find out what's important to them and be a resource. And that will separate you versus trying to close everyone you talk to. I mean, that's just not, it's not good for longevity. I don't think. Thoughts? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You're talking about how it's changed from a buyer and seller and it's the ready immediate access to information, right? The technology is enabled now where the buyers can do just some quick homework and their knowledge, as you said, um, is going to be so much greater than it used to be. So I think that authenticity, their, their, their BS meter is going to be pretty, pretty high, right? You're not going to exactly. be able to come in and position yourself as having some sort of unique access uh, unless you truly are bringing something that is not um, widely uh, publicized, but they're going to have access to that. So then it comes back to being your authentic self and probably doing more asking and listening than talking. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this is not what most salespeople are really good at. They are so interested in the sale that they lose sight of the person in front of them. So you nailed it. It's when people ask me, what's the most important trait of a salesperson years ago, I probably would have said a strong closer, not really knowing. Um, now I say it's listening. It's you just showing empathy. People want to be heard. This is an expression that I've really grown to love and when you think about that, people who are buyers, every time a salesperson is there, they're asking for something, they're telling them stuff, but they're not listening to them. The buyer then goes home, maybe not getting any kids to listen to them probably, and maybe the spouse may not be listening to them. It's like, so who listens to them? Yeah. So sometimes the salesperson, a good listener, can be a real refreshing addition to a buyer's life really so it's it's pretty amazing when you get down to the human psychology of this so it sounds like one of the biggest pitfalls you see out there by sales leaders and and sellers is not doing enough active listening focusing too much inwardly on their message and not enough about understanding needs are, are there some other pitfalls what, what are you seeing out there in terms of just the mistakes that are making you cringe, Harry. They the salespeople make it all about themselves. And this is again, buyers do not care about salespeople. They don't care about your quota. They don't care how important the business is to you. They don't care about how great your company is and how long you've been doing it. They care about what are the problems they're faced with today. And are you there to help them? Are you there to provide some value or are you just there to sell? And someone recently pointed out a great thought to me, which was buyers and executives, especially executives, because no one really has the, the job to meet with salespeople every day, every hour. But when an executive invests in your t in the time to meet with a salesperson and they're not getting anything out of it other than you're trying to sell me something, 
why would they do that again? And so people go dark because the salesperson is not providing any value. So it is imperative to know something about that person's business, share some insight about something, or make a connection in the community or your network. You've got to find a way to provide value. And if it's nothing, then it better be great listening and great questions. If it's all about you, they're not going to want to see you again. And that's why I believe people go dark after that first meeting because they don't see any value in it. What's your thought on that? Well, yeah, no, I, I think the traditional adage that says, you know, how critical first impression is, and you only have one chance to make that impression. And I think today, uh, especially we're, you know, largely uh, working more in remote working environments um, and the patience level, uh, Harry, I think, you know, just as a, as a, a, the human condition right now, everything that we've been going through, I think there's a, a lower patience level and a higher sensitivity when someone's not taking an active interest in what my problems are, even, even less tolerant, even less patient than maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Right. So I think it's just trending back to your point, which is you've got a limited time window, uh, in, in that making that first impression and you better demonstrate the ability to listen. You better demonstrate through active, um, active listening, and then also asking questions that show that your focus is around their problem and a solution, not around a, um, uh, just sit back and let me just tell you about myself. I just don't think that there's a, a tolerance for that anymore. Exactly. And you know what, like what you mentioned, it just reminded me, think of the, the person, if you're meeting with an executive, how many emails are in that person's inbox? How many phone calls is that person getting? How many meetings, internal meetings, are they sitting in? And they've got all this stuff going on in their mind. And you're sitting in front of them, talking to them, telling them stuff. What are they thinking about? Are they really listening to you? No, they've got all this other stuff. Unless you're getting them engaged, like you mentioned, with good questions, they've got other stuff on their mind. So the mind can easily, the brain you know, we think a whole lot faster than someone speaks. So, and if we've heard it before, we're off into another world thinking about all the things we have to do. Anyone's doing that, especially people who are super busy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something you've spoken very passionately about is the true power of human connection. Can you talk a little bit about where that comes into play in this whole selling with dignity approach? Yeah, the the power of the human connection is something that it can be really simple if people don't think they're good at it. First of all, you have to remove yourself from, I have an agenda. Make the agenda, I want to learn about this other person and see if I can provide value for them. It's It's... Well, it can have the same outcome as wanting to sale, but it's such a better place to start is think how I'm going to meet with this person. How can I really provide value for them? How can I serve them? And a simple strategy is when someone's speaking is to look at their eyes, make eye contact. Mm -hmm. What yeah. happens is that salespeople... <laughs> will look at their notes, 
they'll give this fake look because they sometimes get uncomfortable and people see through this and they say things like, I don't know what it is about that person, but they're making me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't feel great about that person. When you look at the person's eyes, there is actually a synergistic communication going on through the brains. It's really amazing if you do any research on this. The same is true with storytelling, by the way. And so you can have this connection that is almost mystical by speaking to another person and listening and looking at their eyes when they speak. Now, you're not staring them down. You have to look away, come back to them, but you're showing that you're attentive. And like you mentioned, this active listening, but the, one of the keys is really to make good eye contact and there's a bond that can take place there. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. And of course, you know, having participated in a lot of uh, various training around effective communication, I think the statistic here was something like 75, 80% of what someone calculates in terms of their impression of you is based on nonverbal information. And so back to the behaviors of, is this person showing active interest in me? Are they making eye contact? Are they looking away? Are they fidgeting? Are they, um, you know, what's the, the rate and or speed in which um, they are um, communicating? I mean, but there's a lot of nonverbal visual cueing and assessment that's going on. So being mindful of that is spot on. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, the data is out there. There's been a number of studies and I think the biggest thing to walk away is this is stuff you cannot fake. You can look at someone's eyes, you can pretend, but your facial expressions are these little tiny micro expressions. Right. I, don't, I mean, we all pick them up. It's hard to, I mean, I see them when, I, when uh, for instance, if a buyer or is a, a decision maker is telling the salesperson that we're not going with you, that salesperson could be looking at the eyes, the mouth starts to quiver, there's a wrinkling of the brow, and yes. there's all of these little tiny micro expressions. And, this, and I say to the salesperson after, I said, wow, your face really showed how you felt on that one. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, you can't fake that stuff. You cannot hide. It's, it's, I mean, it takes a lot of practice to try to hide that. We don't, no, no one practices that. And why would you, right? Be natural. Look for the good and take the emotion out of it. And you you can save the relationship for future opportunities, but when you, you make it really awkward for people, they just don't want to be around you. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in the human body when it comes to communication. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you've worked with so many successful organizations in terms of that servant mindset. Do you have some favorite examples of where you've seen this impactful transformation like literally happen before your eyes? Oh, I mean, it happens all the time. And it really comes down to where people struggle with selling with anything, with any profitability. And profit's good, folks. I mean, we all, the companies, you, we all need profit. So we'll save that conversation for another time. But when people talk about, oh, it's the price, it's always the price, you start 
putting some of this into play and show that it's not about price. It's about you and it's about the value you provide. It's about the questions. And then you start to see some of the revenue, the deals that come in with a completely different percentage of profit. You know, it's, it's healthy profit. It's not robbing anyone, Walmart, Amazon, they all have healthy profit and any business needs that. And we all want that. So when I see sales reps do this and they come back and they, you know, we start looking at numbers, it's just, you know, how did this happen? I don't know, <laughs> but it, it comes from this application, right? Putting the client first and asking the better questions and solving problems versus selling your stuff. Yeah. There might also be a tendency to launch into a conversation around price, probably prematurely before you actually have uh, fully developed or demonstrated that understanding and of need and the value add, right? So sometimes maybe rushing it a bit to try to get to the pricing because of a belief that that pushes you one step further to close, but doing it at the wrong time can be counterproductive, can it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's... you've got to understand what the problem is that you're solving. And here's the challenge though. If you say it's too early to give you a price, people might just go elsewhere. And that's a, that's a challenge today. And I've watched people over, I mean, years ago you could say, well, it's too early to give you a price. But again, the information is out there. So all the person has to do is Google the product or service that you're offering and get an idea. What is the average price range for this? And they're going to find an answer unless you're selling something that's, you know, Google doesn't know or no one's ever spoken about on the internet, which is unlikely. And if we don't give at least some kind of ballpark price and say, it's a little early, but we're typically in this range. How does that sound? And, you know, they'll say, because they may have already researched it. And when they see that the salesperson is not um, forthcoming with an answer, that trust may not be there. So you have to be careful of that. And I've seen yeah. where this has, this is kind of a recent change within the last few years. I've noticed this more and more. What do you, have you been seeing this too? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting where I see this come into play and in, I've worked in some organizations where there's been this internal debate when it comes to the website. So if I'm in a B2B, uh, typically a B2B solution uh, scenario and the debate is how transparent do we want to be with communicating price information on a website? And I've seen this debate where it's there. There's one camp that says, you know, um, we actually want to be more needs uh, and solution oriented. We don't want to be uh, too prematurely or too transparent by showing little price points. It gives it signals this thing away to our competitors. It's not good. And then the other camp is actually it tells the buyer something about yourself that you are confident enough and transparent enough that you're communicating pricing. 
And you've probably seen this too, this debate over the two schools of thought, right? As to, you know, withhold it, keep it closer to the vest, and then feeling like you're more in control when you can communicate it. I've been more in the camp actually of being a bit more transparent on the pricing, because again, I think it's an expression of, um, you know, who you are uh, in terms of an organization and value around transparency. But just knowing that that's not a panacea, people are not going to necessarily uh, just because you're being transparent on the pricing, that that isn't going to propel you into a buy decision. You're still going to have to bring that authenticity. You're still going to have to bring somewhere into the on the journey, into the conversation, an understanding of their needs and the solution and all that. I just have always erred on the side of being more transparent when it comes to that. Agreed. I think uh, the same way that some, tra- I mean, you want to be transparent where you can be. Um and I think that depending on what it is that's being sold, that putting out starting at or something along those lines or something something that gives the buyer where they can say, this is a good website where I can get an idea. They may not buy from you, but you want more people coming to your website too, right? I mean... Yeah, if it's not exactly. going to provide any value to people, why would, wouldn't they go where they can get some, at least get an idea? And now they're on that website. Is It's easy to click on, talk to a representative. Right, right. And back to our earlier point, too, about just in today's world, just the real-time broad access to information that people have. Everyone has it. You know, this notion of we're going to um, – keep pricing under wraps so our competitors don't know. If you think that your competitor doesn't have a straightforward path to figuring out generally what your prices are, you're just fooling yourself. So you're really not, you know, really not providing that protection. So um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a level playing field now, the great equalizer, which is uh, internet uh, and just this abundance of data that's out there. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Harry, because I'd like to to get into this area. You know, you're you're a real advocate for the servant leadership mindset, and I like to talk about leadership a little bit. And from your perspective, what's the real difference between exceptional leadership versus just good enough? Yeah, yeah. I first of all, I'm thinking that exceptional. You don't ask people to do something you wouldn't do. There's good enough. I mean, people in, especially in sales leadership, but this goes across the board is that because they're in the position of authority, they give people something to do, but I have always enjoyed leaders that sit next to their people. They're not in the corner office. They are within range, speaking range, listening range of their people where this can be done. I love that stuff. And I love it when the leader shows how to do something and takes the lead for it and then becomes a real advocate for the person. They're not blaming the person. They look internally when things aren't working and ask themselves, what can I do better to help this person? This is a human being that may have a family that has their own insecurities. And sometimes leaders wash their hands. They can be performing, but you know, it's that human connection where people say, 
I'm never going to leave this place because my boss is the best. And that to me is exceptional. And when you can do that and just people love being around you and that you're providing a great environment for them where they're safe, they're having some fun, they see that you get your hands dirty, that to me is exceptional. Yeah, and the word or concept that came into my head as you were talking, Harry, is engaged, being engaged as a leader. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who is a uh, retired general and he and I were talking about leadership one time and he had this mission that there is this camp that he was in as a colonel and it was a mess. It was a disgrace when he got there. And what he started to do is that he started to pick up stuff that was on the ground, whether mm -hmm. it be someone threw a cup and missed the trash. Here was the commanding officer yeah. <laughs> bending over on the ground, picking up some private's, you know, coffee cup that missed the trash. And he said, little by little, leading by example, we turned that camp around. And, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. Instead of saying, hey, pick that up, you know, people pick it up because they're being told. But when people see leadership in action, doing it, that's when the real growth can take place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that applies um, even to the CEO walking through the office and picking up the scraps of paper or the cups. And it, you don't have to say anything else, but just through that action, it's amazing how influential uh, that that would be. So you're giving advice all the time, Harry. Uh, around uh, sales excellence, but what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? There's a ton, but what comes to mind that got me into my sales success probably sooner rather than never, if someone didn't tell me this, is to be myself. And it's just today we call that authenticity. Mm -hmm. And this is what people love. I felt like I needed to be the corporate salesperson in the beginning. It wasn't until I relaxed, it could be myself, I could serve people. I have a pretty good sense of humor. I love to laugh. I love to joke around. When I started doing that with prospects and building the trust, and then doing that with sales teams. I mean, there's some sales leaders that don't want to show that they have this human side to them, that they're always, you know, the stiff upper lip. There's always, yes. you know, like we all know those people. It's just like this has carried me on through life where I actually enjoy, I enjoy life. I enjoy, I mean, when, and I say this in the sense where people say that sales is a grind. If you think something is a grind, then trust that it will be a grind. If you think something is going to be a joy, it can be a joy. And that's the choice I've made. So and it all goes back to being your genuine, authentic self. The sooner you can do that, the better off you'll be. Unless you're a jerk. If you're a jerk, don't be yourself. Be someone nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the one time that uh, probably not uh, a good thing to be authentic. 
Um, yeah, good point there. So looking forward, when you think about the future, Harry, what makes you optimistic? Uh, simply that there are so many awesome people in the world. If you break away from the news and you start having conversations with people on LinkedIn and you meet with people networking and you meet with people who are business owners, it's incredible the percentages of how many great people there are in the world. Now, if you take a drive on the highway and you listen to the radio and you're listening to the news, which is always going to be bad, and someone flips you off because you're not going fast enough, you might think the world's a pretty bad place. But it's not. There is There are millions of great people in this world because everyone I talk to has a great story. They want the world to be better. They're bright. And it's like, wow, this is this, the world is in pretty good shape. And we're just looking at the wrong things in it. And there's a lot of good happening. And I just believe this is going to go on for a lot longer than I'm going to be here. I love it. We've come full circle back to the human factor and why we should all be optimistic about that. So as we start wrapping up the conversation, Harry, do you have any other final advice for sales leaders that are looking to elevate their team's performance? Yeah, a great question. I would say that help your team to be better with business acumen. Have role-playing drills where they're having a question, asking questions to a prospect and understand what those questions are not about your product or service. Those questions are about their business. What are they working on these days? What are some of their top priorities? And see, when you start role-playing responses, see how your team responds. But if they get great at those questions versus, well, what's, how many of these do you need? <laughs> you know, go product-based, ask business-based questions, see how they're responding, and then coach, get books, read, watch videos as a team, and get better at that stuff. Because now business owners will look at you as providing value and being able to listen to them. Thoughts? It's connection and it's being able to uh, bring credibility and relevance based on demonstrating that you're putting others first. Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, the book is Selling with Dignity. The podcast that Harry hosts is Sales Made Easy. That's out on Apple and all your favorite channels. Harry, thanks again for joining and providing a perspective that there is a different and a compelling approach to sales that can lead to long-term sustainable performance. Awesome. It's been great to be here, Dan. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give the gift of feedback. You can do that very easily uh, to help make this podcast better. Go out on Apple or Spotify rate and review. It really does help. So thank you for continuing to give the gift of feedback. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.